0: Welcome to The Young and the Weary, the podcast where we explore life and comedy through the eyes of me, Jeremy Pinsley, a 32-year-old stand-up comedian from Nashville, Tennessee, and Dev Rogers, an 89-year-old comedic actress living here in the Upper West Side of Manhattan.
1: That's it, 89 years old.
0: Oh, it's bagel time. Oi, Hey gang, welcome back to part two of our episode with Chris Italia. There's nothing he hasn't done in the business of comedy. He runs a club. He manages talent. He's produced comedy specials. He's produced a movie. He's really done everything. He's an amazing guy. It's an amazing story. I'm so glad we had him here at Dev's Place for this interview. I really think you're going to like parts two and parts three of our episode with Chris Italia. And if you guys are enjoying listening to these episodes, we'd love to hear what you think go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review, tell us how you feel, tell your friends, spread the word, whatever you got to do. We'd really appreciate it. And as Dev always says, you're all invited to her place. But you're kind of getting into comedy and then you ba- you met Patrick Milligan right. who is now your partner, one of your partners. Yes. How did you guys meet and what uh, like how did that well, whole team form? Well,
1: Pat was the other guy at comedy clubs that never would, would always go alone and so <laughs> you comic uh, no
0: you comic no really
1: uh, that's how we met like i was i was at a show and uh he walked over to me and go he actually said the words hey buckaroo uh looks like uh, looks like you're at a lot of shows I, I go to a lot of shows too i was like oh that's cool and like we just started talking and he had this you know this brand of humor he was building uh, and he had this website that was basically a critical review of anything and everything comedy. Um, And I started following it. I thought it was uh, pretty advanced for um, because there really wasn't anything covering comedy. And so to take this guy and I'm a journalist and I'm reading his material and I'm going, this is pretty incredible. I mean, you're the only one really writing about how bad some comedy is and how great some <laughs> other comedy, is. and it was an interesting website. And it was called CringeHumor.net. And uh, it was called what? CringeHumor.net. C- CringeHumor.net. Yeah, no longer exists. But um, oh, okay. but what happened was he was <laughs> he developed this following. He you know people really went to his site just to get information and you know know what shows to go to and um, really what I had you know two, three years in, I really had told him, hey, I think you should expand this. You should, you know, make it a live experience. And so Patrick started producing these shows all over New York City. um, And there were, you know, some great talent on those shows and really was the beginnings of this uh, world of underground comedy because it was comedy that wasn't really accepted Uh, in the mainstream uh, at that point, because it was very honest and dark and, you know, it was sort of a throwback to what Pryor was doing and, and what Carlin was doing and, and, you know, it's what he believed. He believed that comedy should come from within. He believed that comedy should always be raw and, you know, have no boundaries. And so we, you know, we kind of developed this idea and these shows started to catch fire and, we couldn't believe it. We had no idea. <laughs> people wanted to experience this. We just thought, hey, you know, we'll do one every month and you know, maybe 30 people will show up and that's great. And it, it started to increase and it started to get to sold out shows on a Wednesday night at 10 o'clock. And we had no idea how <laughs> that was possible. And so we realized the need was there. People wanted this type of comedy. People wanted to be in this environment. Um, and we decided to take it outside of Manhattan and we would do college shows and we would do small tours and eventually it just really became this brand that we were, you know, surprised about. We had no (laughs) idea, really. I I gotta say, we had no idea that this could happen. And, you know, it became something that was actually profitable for us and, um, you know, we just took it to that level and as we developed a management a talent management arm to it. Uh, Patrick was always developing these shows. Our talent would have an outlet. They would always be able to perform on these shows and be seen by industry. Hmm. And eventually it led to what is now The Stand. So we were doing shows at a place called Times Square Arts Center. Uh, It's now a haunted house or something. (laughs) 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 But we were... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we were selling out shows on wh- a weekday nights and the owner of their property at the time was an older Italian man and in his 80s he loved comedy he had brought the laugh factory in it didn't work out it was now this place called Times Square Arts Center and it was dying and he was saying I, 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 I gotta make this work I need to figure out a way to make it work you guys seem to have unlocked something here why don't you put together a business plan that, where you guys come in as operators, and you know we can, we can do that. So, me not being in the business world, <laughs> I uh, brought my brother into that, and my brother, who's <laughs> incredibly gifted, uh, has a great business sense and had run venues at, at that point in his life. Uh, I turned to him, and we put together his business plan. We presented it. We were ready to go, and then some amusement company comes in with the last minute multi million dollar offer to take over the space and turn it to Oh us. my god!
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but my brother's appetite was, you know, now you know, his interest had become peaked, and he said, I don't want to give up on this idea. I think we actually put together an incredible business plan, I huh. think it could work. Uh, We just got to find the right place for it, and that was about 2011, and he was able to reach out to friends who were in commercial real estate, and he found this incredible location for us, and we were able to apply what we had put together into an actual venue, and the rest... (laughs) <laughs> Wasn't a, a miserable, <laughs> a miserable uh, year of putting a comedy club together. I'm telling you, building a comedy club or building any venue in Manhattan, it is the most painstaking thing uh, because really the city just does everything they can not <laughs> to make it easy uh, huh. on you. And and it was it was really hard to do. And we were able to, you know, bear through the hard times. It was our whole lives, our whole. Anything we had earned in our lives was invested in this place. Hmm. And we were losing money every day until we finally got open. And, um, you know, strangely enough, we really thought it would be sort of like a three year climb, you know, for us. But I think over six months in, we started to realize this thing is actually working. Like, we really th- planned for the worst. And,. It worked. It worked. And, uh, you know, we decided to go different way. We didn't have two drink minimum. We didn't have, you know, all (laughs) those those, uh, stigmas of a comedy club, which is it's like, a, you know, it's like a weird, like, you know, just dark place that is not very welcoming to hang out in. Uh, You know, the food is horrible. The drinks are horrible. We did the opposite. We did. We did an incredible drink program, an incredible – we had a chef that came in that did an incredible menu for us, and we changed the stigma, and we felt like we're doing something right. This is what we always wanted. We were doing shows in all these different venues over the years, and it, the one thing that was missing was this elevated experience. It just shouldn't feel. You shouldn't feel like crap going to a comedy club. You shouldn't feel duped going to a comedy I'm not saying – there's clubs now that are excellent. I mean, Gotham Comedy Club is an incredible place. Um, you know, even even Comedy Cellar has done a better job of doing an overall better experience. Um, Caroline's has always been very solid, and and they actually care about about their uh, customers. Whereas there's other clubs that I'm not going to mention that just. <laughs> I heard think you. I know
0: exactly what's they on the heard, top of your mind, but we will leave it out. <laughs> they
1: heard you in, and then they they push you out because they don't care about the overall experience. They just want as many people there as possible. And then they want to turn the room over. And we want people just to feel, you know, you can stay, you can hang out, you can experience different parts of this place. And, you know, it took off. The idea took off. And I, I don't know. I guess I was. Well,
0: treating I, people with respect is a good business idea. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that's the, like, right. I was
1: like, <laughs> it's not brain surgery. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you treat people well, they like, might want to be... come back to the yes. place. <laughs> so that's what we thought, and it worked. And I, it felt good. It felt to, it felt great to, you know, feel like we were right. You know, we do. We should present a better product, and if you do that, people will respect the idea of what you're trying to do, and, and reward you by coming back over and over again yeah and so that's been the probably the most gratifying thing about having the stand is seeing the same people come back and you know learning their names and being able to have relationships with them so
0: yeah it's forming a real that's comm- the that's the other side of this business <laughs> it's like making your life enjoyable and putting yourself around <laughs> right, like minded right. people sure, to grow sure, with
1: sure but yeah, uh so you know and now we're going to a bigger location and it's multi-layered uh, uh, location. We have two stages, and
0: we just wow. installed
1: we we just installed a pizza oven. So that's <laughs> oh a brick oven pizza. Oh, oven. Yeah, it's gonna excited. be uh, it's gonna be pretty incredible. Uh, <laughs> I think we're in over our heads, open- but that, it's not the first time. Uh, hopefully, if the city tells us we're good to go, <laughs> uh, probably early April. Wow. Yeah.
0: And that location is in Union Square, correct?
1: On 16th Street, right off of Union Square. Yeah.
0: And funny story, I used to work at the bar that was there before that. What, Brother Jimmy's? Yeah. Oh, wow. And I great. ran a comedy show there. There was a comedy show downstairs, That was right? my show. I used to go to that show sometimes. <laughs> hey
1: good to see you so so one night when we looked at that location i said this definitely couldn't work for comedy because i used to come to a show here
0: and it was it was a great show oh it's such a great show it was loved, right it was, what happened why did that show so stop? they brother jimmy's there was a downstairs room that i used mm-hmm. and it was the perfect comedy room right get 15 people in there it's good get you can get 80 in there right, we, right. i think one night we had 80 85 people yeah. in there. But uh, then they decided to remodel the downstairs right, I of that room that. and once they did that it totally kind of ruined that space really? for comedy and then they had an upstairs room that I would use because right. sometimes in the back they, the day of the show they back like, hey we fucked up something's right. organized vent down there sure and but I, we made it work upstairs too right um, there was a little bit of bar noise that went in there and uh, I won't say his name but one comic didn't appreciate it <laughs> but <laughs> no. uh, the the uh, once all that got – they remodeled the whole stage up front. So it just changed and it wasn't, wasn't the, right. the same vibe. It wasn't the same. And then I found a club that I won't name that would like, bring your show here. And hey, so, whatever works. Yeah, ex- so I wanted to get more into clubs at that sure, point. Sure. So that was the next thing. I move. mean,
1: so I would, what I would say about that location, why I fell in love with the location was because I knew how well – received that show us. <laughs> I had told my partners.
0: So do I get residuals? Yeah, I- sure.
1: I, I told my partners like, no, this was a, like a great room for comedy. We've expanded that room. Uh, but we're, we're making it very intimate. It'll be our main stage. It'll be about 130 seats. Um, but it'll feel like the old stand in that, you know, low ceilings, you know, everybody's kind of cl- close yeah. together and yeah. intimate, like, and, uh, you know, we just we wanted to, we wanted to take what you started there. and Now I'm just learning that, um, um, and really expand on it because it it did work as a comedy location. So I think you know they don't. I don't think they realized what they had.
0: They did uh, the stress. Yeah, I was building the show. All on my own. I didn't. Right. I wasn't running it with other comics at first, and we were getting all this heat. And we were getting. I mean, Kurt Metzger. Right, and, right. I mean, everyone was coming by, and the club. Like, I was like, "Can you just like put the flyers on the table, like at the restaurant?" And I used to work there too, so there's this relationship. And it was. Did just, you ever
1: work? Because the person who invited me there, his name was Peyton Clarkson. Yeah,
0: it was pa- so. Pay. When I started working there, I moved to the city, started working there, met Peyton and Hunter, right. who were running that show. Right, and then they kind of. Both stopped kind of doing, right, con- right, or just it fizzled out. Right. And as soon as that kind of died, you took over. I, I, and I had been running a show in the Upper right, West right. Side, and because they were giving me like two hundred bucks a show, nice. So I was booking big name people but the owners were racist and <laughs> i won't even tell you the story they told me cuz it's just so the i was like the owners
1: were racist yes you can't be racist in comedy <laughs>
0: yeah, like, it went, the the comment he said to me was so blatantly racist i was like and i think we must move somewhere else also the the restaurant itself started tanking so sure. it was a we lost that loss then i when as soon as hunter and their show died i took over and then i felt like i kind of brought that show up to another level cuz I put everything into that show. Right, right. And it was probably like at that point in my life, coming being an unknown comic in this city uh, and just creating kind of a name for myself just by creating this really fun room and a good atmosphere. And that's what I remember. Like I'm like... I used to try to get people to come to club shows, and they're paying. They end up paying sixty bucks by the end of the night, right. getting small drinks, and they eat nachos like from a yeah, baseball it's, game. It's The worst food. <laughs> I mean.
1: yeah. I've been in comic clubs where they had uh, microwaved White Castle <laughs> 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 uh, is it served weird? on paper plates. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Is it weird
0: that that entices me? <laughs> I'm like, what club is this? I, mean, I don't begrudge you if
1: you want to eat that. But it's just a very strange offering in a in a comedy club. Yeah, common yeah, land. exactly. Because you could do like it doesn't take much more to do better. Yeah, and I, I would say this that once our concept really started to gain some steam, all the other clubs took notice and they did the same, and they they actually created better experiences. For their consumer base, and that's great. I, I mean, I'm I'm extremely happy that I'm not going to take credit for anything. But what I what I will say is that if if our existence meant uh, having a better comedy scene overall, great. You know that's that's what we that's what we wanted anyway. Because a, a healthier comedy scene means a lot more business, and I think it does contribute to the comedy boom. Because more people enjoy their live experience, you know i mean it's it's an option now, I mean, especially with movies being as expensive as they are, you can go to a comedy club, you know feel a live experience for cheaper than going to see a movie so it was you know i think I think everyone took notice, and I think they've done a great job at adapting and realizing that their customers deserve a lot more than you know what they were getting previously
0: I totally agree were you so and how many bar shows were happening when you and Patrick and your brother, or I guess it was just Patrick? So
1: I wouldn't say it was. It was very early on, and the like the alt scene just started happening. Um, that's why I had always considered what we were doing part of the alt scene because we were really just doing the most unwelcoming spaces at first. I mean, <laughs> until we until comedy clubs started taking notice and said, "Hey, you should do a show here." Um, we were just doing bar shows, basically, and, and so, you know, I again, I don't know if we were the first or where we got the idea. I think that's certainly a question for Patrick more than anything else. I don't know what made him uh, do a show in the first location that he did it in. Uh, it was like this basement of a bar, and it worked. I mean, it was full all the time. We It probably seated about 40 to 50 people, and... The only reason why we moved is because we got a better offer somewhere and we wanted to sell more s- tickets. And hmm. and it just would climb. And we went from that space to a comedy club that sat about 100. Then from there, we went to a bigger comedy club and a bigger comedy club. And then we started doing shows and colleges and theaters and stuff like that. Yeah. So. Would you, I
0: mean, obviously, social media helped, but it was kind of taking off as you were doing this. I don't this. think was-
1: there was any. So I mean MySpace was the only thing that <laughs> I don't know how effective MySpace was. I I really don't know. I I guess it's another question for Pat, but what what was effective was his website because it already had built a fan base and there was he had a message board on there where he would promote his shows. Twitter really wasn't in existence uh at the time that we were doing these shows and I don't really think I don't even know. Was Facebook around? If Facebook was around. It certainly wasn't something we use as a tool.
0: Yeah, it started around two thousand five, but it was only important right. to me because I was in college at the point. <laughs> right. And I thought it was stupid, but I don't think it took like mainstream yeah. traction to like later. Yeah. So I think if
1: there was any social media that helped us, it was MySpace. But
0: again, I, I really don't. <laughs> know. A MySpace success story. They we still had, exist. We had
1: this thing uh, called Cringe Humor Radio, where it was called oh, what. Cringe Humor Radio. Cringe Humor. And really what it was, it was a a live radio station, online radio station, and it would be streaming comedy all the time. We would stream 24-7. And then we started incorporating live shows. So before podcasts were a thing, we would have, like we would, uh, we were talking about this guy, Danny LaBelle, and his show Comical Radio. We would take his live stream from his college radio station, and we would put that on our, our stream. And so we would take shows like that and find other shows that had similar qualities, and we would allow them to stream on our hmm. on our link. And ours was picked up by iTunes and iTunes yeah. Radio. And so I think we were able to – especially interest outside of New York, we were able to garner a fan base – just from that radio station or that radio stream, whatever it was. (laughs) But it was interesting because how amazing, you know, podcasts have risen over these last few years. Online radio was I I think the first thing that really started giving people an alternative. Like people would listen to online radio because it was you couldn't find that on on regular radio and it wasn't pretty a pretty incredible experience just to do that because you saw the results and people really wanted something different.
0: You can create something different that hasn't been accepted elsewhere and right, then make right. it work.
1: Yeah, and again, I, I, I don't really know how we were able to get that type of fan base, but it, it happened and it was <laughs> it was great. It was great. I mean, like it just it just goes to there's people that want a certain type of entertainment, and if you build it and you give it to them. You
0: know, hopefully there's some saying about building it. Yeah, people coming. Sure, yeah, yeah. Something about that. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so, cringe humor. How how would you define that?
1: Right. So it gets a bad stigma because of the name. Um, I think people thought it was like filthy comedy or anything, but that's really not what it was. It was really, like I said, honest and uh, raw in its in its content and. You know, To give you an example, some of the more prominent comedians that came out of that was Patrice O'Neill and Jim Norton and uh, Robert Kelly. Uh, those are the type of comics that we would use consistently. And if you listen to their comedy, it's not that they're filthier in any way. It's more so that they go to places within themselves that most comics wouldn't go. And, Sounds interesting. Yeah, I think you do that.
0: So <laughs> I'd like. <to, laughs> yeah, you cringe I'd like, to, I'd like to go tune in, right? <laughs> yeah. So just like, so someone like Tig Notaro doing a special about cancer, like sure. That falling yeah, in. yeah.
1: That's you know, and again, everybody views Tig as someone who's uh, alt on the part of the alt scene and alt world, but her subject matter would definitely be something we would gravitate to.
0: Yes. Also, and you mentioned earlier about Andrew Dice Clay and how what you loved was the rawness of how little prepared there was and how right. he's just kind of Right. right. Seen the, it. the
1: point of the, the point of his album was this is how I write. I write by going on stage and seeing what works. And so I'm going to put out that type of album and see what happens. And <laughs> it's not that his material is I, I you know, when you think of great comedians, uh Dice is Material is not something for everybody, but certainly you understand why it works. And I've never viewed him as this incredible writer or anything, but I loved his process. His process and the fact that he was willing to show it. Most comics would never give you that. Most comics would never let you in on that. But he, he did that. Mm-hmm. And I was, that was, it was the first time as a fan that you really got a sense of how it works.
0: Yeah, so, you see, yeah, like, the emotional yeah. toil that goes into creating yourself. Right, too. absolutely, absolutely. And I even think, like, Chris Rock took more of a turn towards that with Tambourine, where he's always been, he goes there. Like, sure. But when he started talking about cheating on his wife, and, like, right. that was the first time I've ever seen him that he's vulnerable. vulnerable. Right. He's always been in control on stage. And I he, always
1: think that the more vulnerable you are and the more willing you are to go there, it's, it, the audience relates to it, and they make a connection with you that they might not have made a connection with prior to that.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Cause I, and you notice as you develop as a comedian early on, like your go-to is hitting surface jokes because you don't know how to feel comfortable exposing that. Right. And then as you kind of get in and you realize, yeah, like, well, how am I going to connect more? It's, right. It becomes your only option. You discover to your voice. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what it is. And it's through digging deep. Mm. Talking about what you shouldn't be afraid to talk about. Thank you. <laughs> De- Dev is back in bagel mode, so we are <laughs> So obviously with cringe humor and being honest comes backlash from people sure. and especially in today's age right. with the PC sure, society. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. is that even – does that give cringe humor more power to continue or um, no, does it? No,
1: you can't – it does not continue. I mean we, we were lucky enough to be uh, – to have that brand at a time where people wanted to expand their palate so to speak and – didn't care about an inappropriate joke or didn't weren't so concerned about who was getting offended as long as everybody was getting offended. Uh, and now it's I mean, really if we tried to start all over with that brand, immediately would people would take notice just on the name alone. They would expect uh inappropriate comedy to come from it, which is again not what our goal was. It just if it was part why of what you, they did. Why did you choose that name? I don't know. That's what Patrick <laughs> to call it. I guess, I, you know, Patrick is a quirky guy and thought the word would be the best way to describe, you know, if someone's telling something vulnerable about themselves. If someone is is going to a place that normally people don't go to, it is is it's it's what's called a cringeworthy moment. So that's what he was thinking about when he named. The, the brand what he named it was because he felt that the type of comedy he liked produced a lot of those cringeworthy moments and so that's why he called it Cringe Humor Is that still going on? Cringe Humor kind of phased out when we opened the stand. We kept it alive a little longer but to be honest with you again because of the state of affairs I just don't think it was something that could last so unfortunately There's no way it, to hear it now Cringe humor and like all the content we had, you know, I have tons of recordings from shows we did, so I have that myself. I don't, I don't know how we best to put that stuff out. Maybe it's something in the near future where we can kind of put some t- put together like a compilation album or something like that and put that out there and see what happens. But the, no, there's no other way to see it here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: As a club owner, how do you feel? Like, if an audience member complains to you, whether it's vocal during the middle of a show, which I find obnoxious, Mm -hmm, whether it's that, or it's coming to you complaining with an email or after the show, how do you respond? About the material. About material being offensive to them. I mean,
1: look, I I think if you sign up to go to a comedy show, the first thing you need to be is open minded. Because you you don't know what you're going to hear. It's not, you know, sure, people write material, but you don't. You don't know what that comic's going to say that night. You really don't. And it's you shouldn't be offended if if a comic is working on a joke and maybe it doesn't sound as complete as it should and you are offended by it. You could you're allowed to be offended by something. I, I'm not I'm not lecturing an audience member saying, "Oh, come on, you know, you you know, you should let I mean it's a joke. It's obviously Look, you may not find it funny, but what I don't appreciate is that that becomes the central focus of the night. That one joke or that one set from a comedian, that becomes the end all be all of everything. And it's not fair because to the other... It was
0: the one element that disturbed.
1: Right. And it's like, what about the rest? What about the rest of the night? What when
0: about the other comedians? People are, when somebody is disturbed by something, it takes over sure. the whole experience. And that's
1: unfortunate. You should be able to you know, put it in its own category and say, maybe that wasn't funny... And maybe that offended me, but I did appreciate everybody else on the show. Well, you're asking for a different kind of audience. Sure. Sure. It's hard to get nowadays. You just – it's just like any any comedy uh, – any comedian that goes on stage, any audience member could be individually different than others. And you have to deal with the ones that are unhappy. And usually how we diffuse those, those audience members is like to say, hey, you know, I understand you're, you're offended or – this wasn't the type of show you thought you were coming to see happy to make it up to you in other ways come back to another show you know you know just other i we want to make someone happy but at the same time we don't want to compromise what what a comedian does on stage just because there's one or two angry audience members
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't. I mean, the last thing you want to do is discourage a comic from taking a risk that you'll stop sure, booking that sure. comic. Cause...
1: I gotta say, you know, in the in the five plus years that we were open in the other location, I don't think it happened that often for us. I thought there was a really good balance on the type of material that there was on stage, and I think you know maybe there was a, a handful of r- real angry patrons, but outside of that, I think I think we. We avoided a lot of that, I think. And I think also because you're already building a healthy uh, experience for comedy. So if you go to a comedy club and you get charged two drink minimums and you get, you know, you have choice of just horrible food and all the other things that make a comedy club, you know, bad. Then it then when they see something on stage that offends them, it just heightens and overhypes that experience but if everything else at the comedy club was great the treatment of you the food the drinks you're in a better place to watch stand-up and i i feel like that if you do get offended by a joke it doesn't become such a central part of your thinking because i had a great night i was able to go out with a bunch of friends or my boyfriend or my husband and have a good night okay there was this one moment it just softens the blow and i think that's something comedy clubs should definitely take notice of. That if they find that they're dealing with that a lot, well, then give them everything else, and
0: they'll overlook the
1: one thing that.
0: That's actually I never yeah. even thought of that. Yeah, like, I mean especially at your club, you're not you're not feel like you're getting abused, abused, and then verbally abused. Right. You feel comfortable, comfortable, comfortable. <laughs> right? People, oh, that's are, a funny thing that there's didn't work people
1: that walk away from a comedy club experience and say this was horrible. The comedy was bad. The food was bad. The drinks were bad. And it's like. You want to eliminate as much as that (laughs) – as much as that you have control over, right? Yeah. yeah. So you you want to eliminate them complaining about food and drinks and overall comfort, right? If you have those things taken care of, if they're top notch, then that comedian on stage has a better chance at having a a more enjoyable audience to – to perform in front of it's just common sense it's, it's really how it works <laughs> so so really i i think we did a good job of that and i think there was less incidences of angry customers because there was a better experience
0: yeah i agree with that and i'm glad you have adopted that policy uh, you don't have to are end- you still functioning that way yeah we ha we have to we can't go back now no do you you have a comedy club
1: now. so well yeah, we're moving our club into the new space and when we open, we'll have the same policies that we had for sure I mean we and if not, we offer more now than ever before. What's the more that you offer? I mean there's now? gonna be uh you know just in terms of food and drinks, we'll have a lot more variety and there'll be a raw bar there, there'll be oh. a brick oven pizza, there'll be an extended menu upstairs and downstairs
0: white castle, on, yeah, paper plates. White castle <laughs> on paper
1: plates um and i think that just the there'll be less congestion so when you walk in it'll be a, an open space where you can freely go to any part of the location whether it's hanging out in the pizza bar area hanging out in the bar area hang, you know, having reservations at our restaurant It'll feel so much better. You you won't feel confined to a, s- a certain space while you're waiting to go downstairs. And then once you go downstairs or, or see a show on our second stage in the back of the room, you'll feel like, hey, this is incredible. I've already I've only been here thirty minutes and I've had and this the best pizza I've ever had and the best drink I've ever had mm-hmm. and. You know, who cares about the show? yeah, right. by the time the show happens, they are in a such a more enlightened space, they feel happier because they made the right choice, and they don't feel like they've been taken in any way, and you know certainly, our prices were modest, they're gonna to continue to be modest uh we're not hitting over the people over the head with high prices. And I think, you know, that, again. That so we'll know when you're opening. We can have a session at your place. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you're invited. You're invited. <laughs> You'll be on our friends and family list. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know such a
0: list exists.
1: Well, sure it does. <laughs> All restaurants before they open have a friends and family night. See, you're talking about a world I don't know anything about <laughs> I'm telling you about it You're going telling to telling about you about it it. get it
0: it's gonna So be you're going to get
1: an invite to friends and family night It's your choice if you'd like to come If you like, if you like to come on another night, that's fine too But you'll yeah. get a first look How's that?
0: That's terrific, it'd be a group of us great. <laughs> <laughs> Groups are great We like groups Groups are good uh, you don't have to answer this question, but it's just what sure. every Booker is getting asked. But would you book Louis CK?
1: Um, again, I here's here's one thing I find interesting about what Louis has done recently. He's he's decided not to do the drop in uh, because he wants to be a little more respectful of his situation and and the situation his arrival at a club puts on a on a, on a venue. So instead of drop ins now, he's doing. uh, If he decides to do a show or wants to do stand up, he'll allow himself to be announced, and he'll allow. uh, He'll even do like a show where he's the only comedian. So what that means is that his audience is the ones are going to be the ones buying tickets. It won't be somebody who doesn't want to see him uh, going to that show. So again, if if that's the way he chooses to do it. I've always enjoyed his stand-up. I don't think he's a great person, but I've enjoyed his stand-up, and you don't have to like everybody you watch. Um, You know, look, uh, you hear stories about Bruce Willis being a jerk or whatever, right? (laughs) But he's an incredible actor. I'll I'll watch every one of his movies, because he's just fun to watch, right? So, same thing with Louis. He's incredibly talented. He's made mistakes in his life. I don't approve of his behavior, and most people don't, but if he wants to most do a people show, people
0: don't know about it
1: most people and there's most people that don't know about it, but
0: uh, well, I know actually he's it's I pretty think in, the, it's, in the mainstream America it is pretty I think
1: in the me Too know. movement that we've experienced uh he was clearly uh highlighted as one of the people that you know this guy is you know not a good person, so he put women it's, in a, he put women in an awkward situation, which you just shouldn't put anybody in an awkward situations. No matter what your fetish is, or what your you know feelings towards sex are, you kind of have, you kind of have to let it be something that everybody is okay with. I mean, I you know I don't I don't begrudge him of his needs and what he wants to do, but certainly do it in a in the most respectful way you can do it. He didn't do that. He paid for it dearly. You know, he lost millions of dollars and projects and. But his <laughs> reputation is now, you know, just in the in the gutter. Uh, but the one thing he has is stand up. And if and this is a free country, and if people want to ignore all the things he did and watch stand up, he should be allowed to do stand up and earn a living. Really, it's the only thing he knows how to do. You can't take that away
0: from him. But yeah, because and, and I totally get both sides. Like to me, that right. argument. Totally good, and I totally get the other side. If he's
1: selling tickets specifically to people that want to see him, then how they do you... should have they have, should have the right to see him, and a yes. venue should have the right to have him there without you know an explosion of you know hate mail and hate <laughs> calls. I think it should be it's... subjective. It's you know specifically for us, we have two stages, right? So if he's in one room upstairs or downstairs, and we still provide an alternative that night of anyone other than Louis C.K., that's a great. You know, you don't buy, don't buy tickets to see Louis C.K. Exactly.
0: I think, and I like the way you're doing it of like, it's all about like, provide, if some people still need that comedy to and make their lives better, I mean, you can provide it's that. It's
1: proven. I mean, the shows that he has done over the last, you know, since he started doing comedy again, they've all been sold out. So the public has spoken.
0: Yeah, they've, he's going to have. They've a either
1: forgiven him or they just didn't care. And or they so, were
0: uninformed
1: or they're uninformed
0: <laughs> or they're just fans of his, they're just fans of his comedy. He's Dev's a, never complained about one Louis CK show.
1: <laughs> he's a brilliant comedian. Oh, he's he a is. brilliant comedian. So he should be allowed to perform now that he's paid for his, you know, transgressions. An education
0: it <laughs> yeah, I think I think that is a very valid <laughs> argument and I respect your honesty on the subject. Um So I want to dive a little bit into the management aspect of life because you kind of said you kind of was like thrown into it. Absolutely, yeah. What was that learning curve like and how did you feel you could really provide something for your clients? So
1: really where I came from was development background. I felt like I had had strong TV contacts. I had a good beat on what people wanted to buy uh, because I had worked a little bit on the TV side Um, and I had... You know this background in journalism where I could tell a story and write story, and what comics often uh, struggle with was, "Hey, I know it'd be funny, but how do I tell that in a more story form for it to be sold to television so I think just on that alone, I felt like I brought something unique to the whole experience on term in terms of services in terms of day to day management, I had a partner that had already been doing that, and another, you know, he was working in music, and he provided that for them. He provided that day to day, you know, grind of being, you know, a comedy manager, and, and I was able to take their, what their their strengths and help them develop uh, not only not only uh, scripted content but also unscripted content, and help them with material at times. So it was it was more of a think tank. We We created – we had like an – and we still do. In our office, it's really like an open space. Anyone can come and work. We're more of an incubator versus it being this professional-styled office where, you know, people – you have to make appointments with us. No, just if you're a client and you want to work with – us you can just come in every day. Most of the clients we work with have keys to our office. They come in and out as they please. You know, we just decided that we wanted to do it a different way. You know, we wanted we wanted it to be about the work and less about um what other people are getting or what other people are doing. It's like mm. if we're constantly involved in creating something, you won't be thinking about that stuff.
0: <laughs> wow, that is like my manager says it all the time. It's like, shut up and do the work.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's
0: like, like, it's so easy to sit there and be like, I don't have this and this isn't working. Right. And, I mean, we- and
1: honestly, as for in a, from a manager's perspective, the more you give us to do, the more material you give us to work with, the easier our job is. The hardest thing about a manager's life is, you know getting the 2 a.m. call saying i'm frustrated i don't understand where i'm going with this career you know how can you help me and it's like well i'm going to tell you the same thing i always tell you give me something to go out and and sell give me something (laughs) that i can go sell you on and and the more you give me the the easier it becomes
0: you can't be the comedian and the manager that's, right that's right a too, can you just do all of it but then i'll like show up every once in a while yeah, and
1: look and then there's guys guys that hit and you know it's an amazing journey to watch them develop from you know being somebody that you know wasn't getting attention to all of a sudden so now being the person everyone talks about um it's also it's also fun watching you know and helping uh a comic reinvent themselves, you know, and you know, I, we, you mentioned earlier, I work with Bonnie McFarlane and Bonnie is interesting because she went from being someone who would get cast in pilot after pilot and TV show and, you know, series. And she hated the experience. She couldn't Hmm. stand being on, on screen. She didn't want to be on screen at all. And so we worked together on what she really wanted to do, which was develop Become a director, write. You know, she's a prolific writer. And so what we did was we changed
0: her trajectory. Well that does it for part two of our episode with Chris Italia. But don't worry everyone, there's one more part. Is it the best part? I don't know. I love them all equally. But yes, part three is so amazing. So much more to talk about, so much more to cover. And remember, guys, subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, tell us how you feel, and most importantly, tune in to part three of our episode with Chris Italia. Find it on iTunes. We'll see you in part three.